We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to Rotoviz Radio, a fantasy football podcast, with your host, Matthew Friedman. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Freeman, Matt at the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Today we are talking about the Tennessee Titans. In between the NFL Combine and the draft, I'm interviewing beat reporters for every franchise, 32 teams, 32 beat writers, and 32 episodes. We're covering team needs, free agency, draft rumors, basically everything between now and day one of the draft. For this episode, I'm joined by Jim Wyatt, the senior writer for Titans Online. In this episode, he talks with us about the organizational transition from Mike Malarkey to Mike Vrabel as head coach, the role quarterback Marcus Mariota will play in the new offensive system coordinated by Matt LaFleur, and what the team might be looking to do in the first round of the draft. Before we get to the guest, I'd like to remind you that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all the premium NFL content on the site, and it supports the pod. All right, let's get to the guest. Please welcome to the show Jim Wyatt of Titans Online. You can follow him on Twitter at Sports. Jim, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, uh, it's great to have you on the show, in part because it is a fantastic time of year. We're about two weeks away now from the first day of the draft. Uh, so there are a lot of draft rumors swirling around. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, off-season movement 
for the Titans. And, uh, of course, none more important than the departure of Mike Mularkey and then the addition of Mike Vrabel as the new head coach. Can you talk about the environment within the organization now that Vrabel is the head coach and kind of comparison into what you saw with Mularkey? Well, I have to say, I think a lot of that remains to be seen because uh, the offseason program just started on Monday. We haven't really had a chance to see you know, the team on the field yet. There's going to be a mini camp in April, obviously OTAs, uh, you know, throughout May and June, and then a, then a mini camp at the end of June before we take a little bit of a break and come back for camp. And I think some of uh, my opinion uh, will change on, you know, might uh, change obviously based on observations over that time. I, I do think Mike Rabel is going to have a different approach than Mike Malarkey did. Uh, you know, being a former player and being a, a former player not so long ago. I mean, he he comes in with a little bit of moxie, uh, 14 years of, of experience, three Super Bowl rings uh, to his name, and I think players will respect him. Uh, I think he'll hold guys accountable. I think he'll have a little bit of an edge to him. And uh, I'm curious myself just to see what some of that looks like, and uh, I think we'll start to get some hints here as offseason goes on. Quarterback Marcus Mariota had an up-and-down campaign last year. He threw the most interceptions and fewest touchdowns of his career, but he also led the league in fourth-quarter comebacks and game-winning drives, and he quarterbacked the team to the playoffs. With new offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur, what are the Titans expecting out of Mariota in 2018? How do you think that they want to use him? Well, I think he'll uh, he'll take an, another big step in the right direction. Uh, and I think you're going to see an offense that's maybe geared more toward getting him involved. I, mean, I think uh, last year and, and maybe other times, he was more of a complementary piece in the offense, an offense that was designed uh, to kind of grind games out and to pound you uh, running the football, you know, with that exotic smash mouth offense is how Mike Milwaukee used to describe it. I think with Matt LaFleur as the offensive coordinator now, you're going to see some, uh, you know, more of a, of a game playing each week that's designed to help him win games for you and have more of an impact on games from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. Uh, I think he's going to benefit from having a full offseason of being healthy this time last year, still recover from, you know, from a, an, an injury that required surgery and really had him recovering and rehabbing, uh, you know, the first through the first part of the offseason. So, He's going to benefit from being healthy, being able to work with uh, his teammates, you know, during the course of the offseason program without limitations. And, uh, and I think that's going to show off in the fall. You know, I'm curious, you, you mentioned the exotic smash mouth offense run by Mike Malarkey. And, um, you know, so Malarkey he had two consecutive nine and seven seasons. In his final season, the team went to the postseason. Um, won a postseason game, and that was following two previous seasons with uh, Ken Wisenhunt, in which the team went 2-14 and 14 and 3-13. and 13. So kind of in a big-picture way, it's hard to be too disappointed with what the team did under Mike Mularkey. Do you think that the change uh, with the new head coach had more to do with the, the system of offense that he was running and less with the results or, or the record that he had? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, I, I think I do agree that Mike Malarkey did a lot of good things as head coach. I mean, he helped change the culture. 
uh, he helped change the results. I mean, you went back to back, you have back to back nine win seasons, win a playoff game for the first time, you know, since 2003. You're doing something right. But I will say that, you know, there were times where people always wondered what, you know, was there more that the team is not accomplishing, accomplishing. You know, there were, there were some ugly games where the team just squeaked by. December wasn't pretty and didn't finish the season. Uh, regular season as strong as you would have liked. I think people felt like, you know, Marcus Mariota was capable of doing more, but he was kind of handcuffed at times. And I think with a new head coach, with a new offensive coordinator, I think you're going to see this team try to take things to another level. I mean, while winning a playoff game was great, I don't think anybody's satisfied uh, with that result. I mean, you want to get to the Super Bowl, you want to compete and have a chance to win. And, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, the feeling is that Mike Vrabel can help the team take the next step. I mean, this is an improved, certainly an improved roster from a personnel standpoint from a couple of years ago. It's improved even more this offseason with some additions in free agency. We still got the draft to go. I think things are trending up for the Titans, and, uh, and Vrabel's a guy that's going to take them there. All right, so no more exotic Smash Mouth. Also, no more DeMarco Murray. And for one hot minute, it looked like Derrick Henry might have a lot of the backfield work to himself, and then the Titans signed Deion Lewis. How does the team envision using those two in tandem? Well, I think it'll be a one-two punch. I mean, I think some weeks you're going to see Derrick Henry get a a, a a tremendous workload. I think other weeks you're going to see Deion Lewis be involved and have opportunities. I think a lot of it will depend on how those guys do with their opportunities. They're so different. I mean, Henry's big, sturdy. Uh, he's a hard-nosed back who's going to wear, you know, defenses down. Deion Lewis is quicker, uh, you know, tougher to, to maintain, you know, tougher to contain, tougher to tackle, catches the ball well out of the backfield, very explosive runner. And, uh, I, I think there's going to be times where you'll see them both on the field. I think there's going to be times when Deion Lewis, you know, gets into a, a, a little bit of a rhythm and, and, and they try to feed him. I think he's more than a third down back. But I do what that said, if Henry's able to be successful and able to, uh, prove to be, prove to be a guy who is tough to take off the field, he's going to play and he's going to get opportunities to prove that. Last year, the team invested heavily in the offense, specifically in pass catchers for Mariota. So Corey Davis in the first round and then Taewon Taylor and Jonu Smith in the third round. How does the team view those players entering their second seasons? Well, I think, you know, I think coaches across the league will tell you that players make their biggest jump from the, you know, year one to year two. That part of that goes with just experience. Part of it goes with being a full year in the off-season program, the weight program to get yourself in better shape. You know, part of it is because, you know, heading into the rookie year, you're focusing so much on the draft and combine and pre-draft workouts and visits that you just don't, can't focus on the season. And now both those guys, that you mentioned have had a full are going to have a full off season uh, under their belt going into year two. They expect them both to be big contributors. Corey Davis, I think, showed at the end of last season what he's capable of. Caught a couple of touchdown passes in the in the last game against the Patriots. Uh, you know, he missed time with injuries last year. I think if he can stay healthy. He's going to be a game changer for him. Johnny Smith, I thought, had a good rookie year and and did what was asked of him. Um, you know, the only problem with him is he's got Delaney Walker still playing at a high level in front of him. So it's not like you can take Delaney Walker off the field 
and 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 put Johnu Smith out there in his place. He missed too much having Walker on the sideline. One of these days, Elaine Walker's uh, going to start slowing down. I haven't seen any signs of it yet, but you would think a guy at that age and uh, how many years he's played and the punishment his body's taken that that's coming one day. But it's not here yet, at least from what I've seen. And uh, uh, I think you'll see him, bo- you know, both Walker and Smith on the field at times in 2018. I think you'll see John o. Smith's role expand a little bit, but uh, you know his career will take off maybe when uh, Delaney Walker's ready to take a back seat, and it's hard to say when that's going to be. On the offense, are there any big needs that the team is looking to address in the draft, or is this going to be more of a uh, a year in which the team focuses on defense, which might make sense given that they have a defensive-minded head coach? Well, I think you know some of the moves that have been made this off season, uh, you know, lend you to believe that potentially a defense could be the focus of this draft. And but but I still can't help but wonder where some more numbers are coming from at the receiver position. You know, this this team is on offense. This team has added a running back in Deion Lewis, uh, added Kevin Tamfield from the from the Buccaneers and Xavier Suafilo to the interior offensive lineman from the Buccaneers and Texans, respectively. Added a backup quarterback in Blaine Gabbard. Added a receiver uh, slash return guy, Michael Campanero. But they're still, uh, they're still low in numbers at the receiver position. So I, I think you're going to see that number increase, whether that comes in the draft, whether it comes in the form of undrafted free agents, whether it comes to potentially with more free agents. That kind of remains to be seen. I think that's one room or one area that could be addressed. Um, uh, this team needs an edge rusher. Uh, this team needs a third safety. I think this team needs more uh, help uh, at inside backer where there's going to be more competition there. Uh, you know, three of those two, I just mentioned, are de- on the defensive side of the ball, and some of them could be attacked a couple of times in the draft. So if I had to bet and it was six picks, I'd, I'd say – defense is where things go, but you never know what can happen in the draft. You never know what's going to happen in front of you. Uh, and especially you don't know when you're picking at 25 what that first round is going to look like. So uh, we'll kind of have to wait and see. And if, if the draft doesn't match up with the expectations going in, uh, you know, of John Robinson, maybe you address some other needs uh, in, a, in another wave of free agency. On the defense, you have uh, defensive end Jarrell Casey. He's 28 Outside linebackers Brian Arakpo and Derek Morgan are 31 and 29. Inside linebacker Wesley Woodward is 31. So the team has some age in the front seven. How important is it them is it to them to get younger in the defensive trenches? Yeah, I think it's big. I mean, not just for this year, but for the future because you know you. Uh, I think you can count on those guys this fall because you know Jarrell Casey's still playing a high level. You know. Wesley Woodard obviously playing at a very high level, had a tremendous season last year, and Derek Morgan and Brian Arakpo still have got game. But uh, you know you can't count on that forever, and uh, I think you don't want the cupboard to be bare whenever uh, those guys start to slow down a little bit. So I just think for the future, you've got to start looking at uh, at getting younger. You've got to start looking at some guys who can maybe impact things with a little bit of speed and production now, but uh, for years to come. Within that front seven, is there um, one one player? Let's say like uh, one pro, one prospect. You know, one guy 
who could be there in the first round that it seems the team might really want, uh, or maybe a couple of guys who could address some of the issues uh, on the defensive line. Yeah, I mean, I think what's what the way John Robinson approached this free agency is that he's hit so many different positions that uh, you know he's really left himself, uh, you know a possibility to take anybody uh, in the first round. Again, some of those spots I mentioned make more sense than others. Uh, and Ed Rusher being one of them, I, I think the popular pick in my draft is Harold Landry. You know, I've seen Sam Hubbard uh, projected as a, as a good fit for the Titans, but uh, you don't necessarily have to go Ed Rusher first. And I think interior, inside linebacker could be one as well. Um, I'll say at this point, is it's just if somebody falls uh, on the board that you're just not expecting to be there, you've got him as a high-strung guy, you can get him. I, I think it helps when that's in a position of need, but that's that's the luxury that the Tides will have in this draft just because of what's taking place in free agency so far. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. So the secondary is intriguing. They have former Patriots Malcolm Butler and Logan Bryan to go with last year's first-round pick and a Dory Jackson. Uh, Kevin Baird is an all-pro at free safety, and uh, Jonathan uh, Cyprian is a steady veteran. Is the team pretty much set in the secondary? I mean, you've got great depth. I don't think I think any GM or head coach will tell you you can't have too many good cornerbacks, but I do think, you know, the threesome of of Butler uh and Logan Ryan and Adore Jackson's a, a really good place to start and then you've got guys who showed a lot of promise uh last year and in their young careers like it's like the LaShawn Sims and Ty Smith. I mean, those are guys who played for the Titans at the end of last season. Now they're competing for spots in situational packages uh i I think the uh you know safety combination of byard who was an all pro pro bowler last year and cyprian who i thought played really well when he uh you know when he was when he was healthy toward the end of the season i think that's a good group i I do think they need more at the safety position as far as depth goes they released the north cersei this offseason ends up signing with carolina but they really haven't addressed that position uh, further, and that and that's one that could come uh, in the dra- in the draft. I mean, I, I think uh, well, I think I'd be surprised if there's not a safety taken. But just the overall makeup of the secondary, it's young. It's got a combination of of youth and some veteran leadership coming from Logan Ryan and Malcolm Butler that will uh, you know have this team playing well uh, on the back end. All right, Jim, this has been a lot of fun. One final question. Are there any players on in the day two range 
who, uh, for whatever reason, seem to to stand out or to fit well with what the Titans might be looking to do with their offense or defense? Yeah, I don't know if I can name anybody specifically. I know this team is in a process of hosting, uh, you know, like pre-draft visits. Thirty of them are, uh, you know, are coming through the building. Yeah, I know. I've seen them walking through. I've seen the list. Uh, I, I think some of them fit, but I think if I start naming uh, names of uh, at this point, I might be, uh, you know, might be stepping out of school a little bit <laughs> by giving up uh, names. So uh, I do think that through this process, uh, yeah, I'm sure that John Robinson, Mike Brable, the staff, they've identified some guys who might be considered sleepers. Uh, and, they, and that's come through, you know, uh, interviews at the Senior Bowl or the Combine or some of these pre-draft visitors or just the scouts doing their due diligence uh, at some of these visits to schools. I, I definitely think there's some guys that are fitting what you're talking about, but I don't know if I can uh, at liberty to, to start naming names at this point. <laughs> all right. Jim, thanks for all your insight, and we hope to get a chance to talk with you again as we get closer to the season. Okay, sounds good. Appreciate it. We just finished speaking with Jim Wyatt, the senior writer for Titans Online. We cover a lot. Here are some of the thoughts I have on our conversation. Uh, we first started talking about the organizational transition from Mike Malarkey to Mike Vrabel. I think it's hard to be disappointed with Malarkey's performance, given what Ken Wisenhunt accomplished, quote-unquote, unco- accomplished uh, you know, in the two years before him. Willarkey went 9-7 for two straight seasons. He made it to the playoffs in the second year. He won a playoff game. It's hard to say that he didn't meet and even exceed expectations. He did way better than I thought he would. The problem is how he kind of quote-unquote outperformed expectations. Um, If coming from the Ken Wisenhunt era, you had said Willarkey will get two straight seasons of 9-7 records, you would have thought, based on what Wisenhunt did, uh, that Mularkey would keep his job and uh, you know would have exceeded expectations. The thing is, with the talent that was assembled on the team, and it became apparent that the team was talented, um, you could say that uh, you know Mularkey underperformed the talent he had on the roster, specifically on offense. Last year, he really shackled the offense, uh, you know, with the quote-unquote exotic smash mouth. Uh, he was using an antiquated system that stifled the development of their franchise quarterback, and it relied upon an aging and injured running back for its production. Um, so he went 9-7 and seven with a team that perhaps, you know, could have gone 11-5. and five. Um, You know, the offense really struggled. Um, and 11 and five is possible. At the same time, the team also, in, in some way, lucked into nine and seven. It could have gone seven and nine. Uh, the Titans were outscored on the season by 22 points. When they won, they barely won, and when they lost, they weren't really in tight games. So Mularkey looked good in the win column, and he was serviceable, but the team didn't perform to its full potential with Mularkey at head coach and um, just based on the way he was running the team I think it was fairly obvious that it never would perform up to its potential so 
He was serviceable, but I don't think the team ever should have hired him to begin with. He was a low upside hire. And I think there are a couple ways of thinking about it. If you are the Titans and you're coming out of the Ken Wisenhunt era, like on the one hand, you could be just looking for a a quote-unquote bridge coach. Someone who is... um, who's competent and who can get you to a certain level before, you know, maybe you bring in a, a coach with more upside who can maybe move your team from average to, you know, playoff team, you know, contending team. <clears throat> the other way you do it is you just hire right away a guy that you think has upside. I don't know. I think it's probably better to hire the guy who has upside, but you know, there might be some merit to the way that the Titans did it. But I think that, you know, one way or another, the team rectified the situation by by adding Vrabel as the head coach. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting if you look at his coaching record, uh, you know, of which there really isn't much. There's, I mean, there's no coaching record as a head coach. Um, what he's done to this point, he's done as a coordinator or positions coach. Uh, of course, he was famous as a player, very productive, um, you know, he's a younger, energetic guy. He cut his teeth as a coach at Ohio, at Ohio State uh, under Urban Meyer. Um, and then he was with the Texans for four years. The first three years as the linebackers coach under under Romeo Cornell. And, uh, you know, then when it became apparent that he was a sought-after commodity and up-and-comer, um, Romeo Cornell you know, kind of graciously stepped aside or maybe was pushed aside so that the team could keep Vrabel for one more season as the defensive coordinator. The thing is, um, underneath him, the defense struggled. It was bad. Um, They allowed the most points in the league. They allowed the fourth most passing touchdowns, the third highest net yards per passing attempt. They allowed the third highest scoring rate for opponent drives. They had the fourth lowest turnover rate. On a per-drive basis, they allowed the third most points in the league, even though they, you know, quote-unquote held opponents to the third fewest plays per drive. So actually, if you think about this, uh, that kind of highlights just how bad the defense was. Opponents were scoring on them with ease. They didn't need to put together long drives in order to score on them. Um, So you might wonder, (laughs) within that context, how on earth did this guy who had literally the worst defense in the league last year, get a head coaching job? I mean, the answer is, well, there could be a couple answers. One, it's a, it's a small circle in the league, and you know maybe some people aren't uh, as analytically minded as they should be. But I, I think with Vrabel, he does get something of a pass because the defense was decimated last year. Um, you know, Hurt by injuries to J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless. A.J. Boye was gone. Uh, Brian Cushing played only five games. Right, the the defense was really injured. It wasn't the same Texans defense from years prior. So uh, Rabel had a tough task, and then plus the offense put the defense in bad situations with field position and also uh, you know pressuring the defense to try to do more because the offense couldn't score at all. Uh, so you know the defense had to try to take more chances, etc. It was just a horrible situation all the way around. Uh, you know, but Rabel seems to have great buzz in the league, you know, for whatever that's worth. He's been known as an up-and-comer for a few seasons. I don't know if that means anything, but it might. Um, 
I think the hope is that Rabel might be a little more open to analytics. I, I know he had the comment about kind of how he would use analytics, and then he had the, the comment at the end that basically negated everything he said. It was like, and if it, uh, you know, confirms what I'm thinking, you know, or, or what my gut is telling me, then I'll use it, which is like, well, that's kind of not the purpose of analytics. Um, but nevertheless, he's open to consulting analytics, which, uh, you know, might be a step in the right direction. Uh, I think the hope could be that he might be something of like a defensive version of Sean McVay. And, you know, what, what's interesting is that um, he hired the offensive coordinator under McVay last year. You know, it might be a situation where um, Vrabel has a McVay-esque approach to managing the team in that he will basically run his side of the ball and he will let the other coordinator do his thing. Just like McVay did last year, McVay ran the offense and he let Wade Phillips run the defense. McVay uh, was definitely not a micromanager. He didn't try to oversee really what Wade Phillips was doing, right? If Rabel could have that approach and um, really not seek to control too much of what LaFleur is doing, I think that would be good. Um, so what can we expect out of the floor? It's it's hard to know how much of the credit he deserves for the transformation we saw last year in Jared Goff. You know, but the Rams they developed him. Um, they gave him you know good schemed throws. They let him play off of the run. Uh, and in the second half of the season, Goff really emerged as a legit quarterback. He had multiple games with 300 yards and multiple touchdowns. So, uh, you know, who is Matt LaFleur? What can we expect out of him? With the Texans in 2008 and 2009, he was an assistant uh, under Gary Kubiak. And then Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. It was a West Coast system, you know, with Matt Schaub as the quarterback, uh, having really the best years of his career. Uh, In 2010 to 2013, he went with Shanahan to the Redskins, and he served there as the quarterback coach. What's interesting is at that point, he was actually ahead of McVay on the coaching chart, right? Uh, McVay was just an offensive assistant. LaFleur was the quarterback coach. Uh, He was basically the number two offensive coach behind Kyle Shanahan. Uh, And he was the quarterback coach for Robert Griffin III's fantastic rookie season. He helped the Shanahan's implement a lot of college concepts into their offense. He also, you know, maybe it's uncertain what role he played in this, but you know, he was the quarterback's coach for the first two years of Kirk Cousins' career. Those were two really important seasons where he developed on the bench. Right? Those weren't certainly wasted years. Based on what he's done since then, you could tell that those two seasons actually benefited him a lot. And it's LaFleur who was the guy overseeing him for those first two seasons. I think that's really important. Um, so he was there for RG3's first year, right? The best year of his career. And he, you know, seemingly was part of, you know, part of the, the team that helped Kirk Cousins turn into who he is now. Uh, after the Shanahan's were you know, ousted in Washington, um, LaFleur wasn't there anymore. He was the quarterback's coach at Notre Dame in 2014. And that was when quarterback Everett Golson it looked like a potential future NFL quarterback. You know, uh, that didn't work out for him in part 
I think because LaFleur left, and in 2015 and 16, he was once again under Kyle Shanahan as the quarterback's coach, this time for the Atlanta Falcons. So he's with Matt Ryan in 2015 and 16. He was with Ryan when he won the MVP award in 2016. And then with the Rams uh, as the offensive coordinator in 2017. So LaFleur, he has been the coach for different types of quarterbacks, and he's had success basically wherever he's gone. Had success with Robert Griffin III in one fashion and with Matt Ryan, Jared Goff in another fashion. I think he can have success with Mariota, who might have the rushing potential of Robert Griffin III or something close to it. He was certainly a fantastic runner in college, but I think he also might have something approaching the passing potential of Ryan and Goff. He really might be the most talented quarterback LaFleur has ever had. I think this is a buy-low opportunity for Mariota. He's coming off the worst professional season of his career, you know, by the numbers. I think regardless of whoever his coach was, he would be likely to bounce back. I think we would see some progression to his career means, but especially now, because he might have a coach worthy of actually being his coach. He has someone to guide him and help him develop and create an offense that suits him, especially now. He might be someone to invest in, in Dynasty Leagues. I'm, I'm looking to buy him now in Dynasty. And another thing is they have the, the weapons for him on offense. right? Rashard Matthews is a very solid veteran. Corey Davis entering his second year. Oh man, uh, he has a lot of upside. This is a great situation for Mariota to have those two guys. And then you add in Taewon Taylor, who could develop. right? And then Delaney Walker with Johnny Smith. He has a solid offensive line. Deion Lewis is a good pass catching back. That was a nice addition by the Titans. You know, I'm I'm buying Mariota long term. I'm looking to do it soon. You know, especially we should be excited about what Corey Davis's development could mean for Mariota, uh, especially given that now he has LaFleur as the offensive coordinator. Um, um, Davis, you know, Davis in his own right should, right should also be a trade, be a trade target, 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 although I think it would be much harder, much harder to acquire, to acquire him. him. You know, the, the team, where they're picking in the first round, they're, you know, in the, the bottom quarter of the, first, of the first round. They're in that kind of dead spot where a lot of the, the players with first-round grades will probably be gone. You know, um, and what they need, they need edge rusher, they need an inside linebacker. Jim mentioned, Jim mentioned that, that, that uh, you know, third, safety third safety might be something, might be something they would be looking for. And Vrabel uh, is a defensive-minded head coach, so it would make sense for them to look to defense, especially because last year they went heavy on offense. But you know, in the most recent mock I have at Fantasy Labs, um, I, I give them guard Will Hernandez from UTEP. You know, on the offensive line, uh, guard is their primary weakness. I'd say just in, in the offense in general, guard is probably where they are weakest. And there really aren't any edge rushers. And this is, I mean, this is the main point. There aren't any edge rushers or off-ball linebackers who really fit the draft range. 
you know, maybe Josh Sweat from Florida State, but, um, you know, first round feels too high for him. In the 20s, feels too high for him. They can maybe go with Ronnie Harrison, the safety out of Alabama, but this could also be high for him, and I'm not sure if they, they want to go with a third safety in the first round. I think that the the four legitimate uh, inside-slash-off-ball linebackers uh, worthy of a first-round selection will probably be gone by then. Um. You know, Roquan, you know, Roquan Smith, Smith. I think he will I probably, think he will be, probably gone be gone in the top ten. Certainly, top certainly 15. top fifteen. Tremaine Edmonds, I think, will probably go in the same range. Rashawn Evans, uh, you know, potentially could go. You know, maybe even as high as you know, pick nineteen, maybe pick fifteen. And then Leighton Vander Esch. Um, honestly, he he might end up being the most talented of all of those guys. I think he will be gone by the time the Titans pick. You know, I think if they want to address the defense, they will have to reach for a player. And I just don't see them doing that. You know, when someone like Will Hernandez presents good value at that slot and addresses a need, right? And he can help upgrade the passing game and the running game. But it's really hard to know what this team is going to do. Right? A new cat, a new coaching staff and no huge needs. And then on the defensive side of the ball, where they do have some needs, no players who really fit that need. Honestly, they might trade back. I, I think if they if they could, that would be smart. But of all the teams in the league, this might be the one about which I'm the most clueless when it comes to the draft and what they might do. But big picture, I think as long as they make decisions with an eye toward getting players on the offense who can support Mariota, I think they will be on the right track. And that is going to do it for this Titans-focused special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Be sure to check out the episodes for all the other teams on Rotoviz and the podcast feed. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Special thanks to Hassan Rahim, the producer for this episode, and to Colm Kelly, the assistant executive producer for the podcast channel. Please review the show on iTunes under the Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email, roadofhisradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Road of His Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Road of His at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, roadofhis.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. The wait is finally over. Oh! 
NotFest Roadshow is back. October 13th, Jiffy Lube Live. Featuring Slipknot with Kill Switch Engage, Fever 333, and Code Orange. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com. Part of the Metris Warehouse Concert Series. 